This is the Find Your Forte Podcast, Episode 35. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte Podcast with Coral Director and Lifestyle Entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast, bringing you another Wednesday episode, but it is being released on Thursday. Sorry, Choir Nation. It is Christmas time, and we do what we can. But I am here today and very excited to be bringing you an interview with Joe Butches of the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus, who I happen to have interacted with recently in a collaborative concert between my group Impulse Handbell Ensemble and his choir just this past weekend in Philadelphia. And I think that he is an excellent person to be speaking with you this week uh, based on what he has been able to do at that organization and all the wonderful things that he's currently doing and will do in the future. So I always begin by asking the same question. Joe, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? Yes, I am. All right, Joe, that's fantastic. The downbeat segment is the biographical segment of our interview, and I used to begin this segment by reading the bio that was supplied by the conductor that we were speaking with that day, but I think that tends to get boring, so Joe, I'm going to ask you this question, if... I met you at a cocktail party, and I said, Joe, what do you do for a living? How would you answer that question? Well, I'm the artistic director of the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus. Um, I've been doing that solely pretty much in the, for the past two years. Uh, prior to that, I um, was the department chair, music department chair and choral director at the Episcopal Academy in Newtown Square. And I was in music education for the six years before that as well. And um, I also the church organist and director of music at the Lutheran Church of the Holy Communion, and organist at Gerard College. And what else do I do? That pretty much sums it all up. Okay, so the one that takes the most time in your life is what? The Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus. I would assume. Yes. Okay. So the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus is 120 men, right? We have about 150. Um, in the roster, in the membership roster, but we do concerts anywhere between 110 and 125 usually. Okay, well, we're going to dip into that bit of your life uh, in the very near future here on the interview, but I want to begin with asking you about the time that you knew you were going to dedicate your life to music. Do you remember what that time was, and and can you paint us that picture? Sure, yeah. Um, I was probably about five years old. My father started to teach me the organ, um, he was an organist himself in Europe. He came from Hungary. And um, my mother was a singer, so I always I p- picked up the organ really quickly, and I always knew I was going to do something music in music. And um, that's really when I, I knew that I was going to be – music was going to be a big part of my life. I, um, as a teenager, I was a music organist – or a church director and an organist. Um, so I was pretty active with that role early on in life and then going to – to college and through high school, it really manifested more and more into my passion. When did you get your first job as an organist? Oh, I was probably 12. Really? Yeah. And, um, and it was great pay for back then for a 12 year old. Um, but it, it was really nice. It was, it was my home church. And then through high school, I started subbing at other churches and, 
know, through college, played in various churches all you know, all through college and um kept going. I think I've been doing church music for the past thirty years. And where did you grow up? Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. So were you that a Moravian church? No, a Catholic church. Oh, a Catholic church. But I, I played at you know um, mostly Catholic churches up there in the in the Lehigh Valley. There's a there was a Catholic church on every street corner practically, so um, I had plenty of opportunities to play at the various churches. And was your mother musical as well? She was. She sang, not trained, but she had a really beautiful voice. Even she's ninety three tomorrow, and she um, she still sings. Ninety three. Well, happy birthday, Mrs. Butches. Yes, I will pass that on to her. All right, so I want to jump into your history a little bit more uh, and speak about like a specific moment maybe when you made the choice that I'm going to go to school for this. Do you remember when that was? I really can't say a specific moment because it was part of my life from so very early on. Um, I think more so when I started to interact with people in the church choir setting when I was you know, working with them and, and seeing the impact of, of – of what I could bring to a, a rehearsal. And I think that might have been something that really motivated me to, to go in that direction of, of doing something music and, le- and leading, leading music ensembles. Now, how did you get involved with the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus? Um, well, initially I sang with them back in 1990s, early 90s for a concert. Um, and then my schedule got busy and I just, then they hired me back to come back as a, as a soloist for one concert. And then we jump ahead 10 years or 12 years to 2004 where the um, position opened up and a good friend of mine uh, who was uh, Michael Hellman, who was a handbell person, mm-hmm. he, he was their accompanist for a few years. And he mentioned to me that the artistic director position opened up and he encouraged me to apply. So I did. And, um, I've been there for the past 12 years and loving every minute of it. So, Joe, it is very clear to me that you are an outstanding conductor. And by the attendance at your concerts, by the, the amount of people who are involved in your organization, the amount of volunteers you have, and the, the passion that they, that they all have for what they do, that you are a fantastic conductor. I'm sure that it has not always been that way. I'm sure that all your success comes from great amounts of failure, too, in your career. So... Um, what is one thing that you feel like you may have failed at at some point in your career? Well, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Well, I am, I am a perfectionist. And early on, um, I think I didn't really express to my singers that expectation that I had. And I sometimes had a bit of a temper early on. And over the years, I really found that balance of still pushing them but not yelling at them or demanding things that they're – not giving me. And, you know, I remember dress rehearsals where I would be screaming, I need this, I need this. And it really was counterproductive because it would cause stress for everybody. And, you know, it just added to the tension. And now, you know, looking back, that was a moment where it really helped me to understand a better approach to my singers and treat them as as human beings. And we're doing this together, not just me up there banging the stick. I can completely relate to you because I always set very high expectations for my singers, but sometimes I would be not as prepared for rehearsal, or I maybe didn't give them all the resources that they needed to be successful, and I would still get frustrated when they didn't give me what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I've had times where I've yelled, and I've been not so kind to the singers, but it really came from my own insecurity 
It really came from the, the, the time where it really came from a feeling where I wasn't, I wasn't fully prepared uh, for that sure. rehearsal. Now, I know you're an incredibly organized person. I, I, I was seeing um, how, how organized you work. I mean, you've you got binders and tabs and, and <laughs> color coding and everything. And I'm sure you've always been very organized. But I mean, do, you, do you feel as though the temper was a combination of, of how prepared you were and maybe the fact that you were a little overambitious or I think that's it. The overambitious. Cause I, you know, I pretty much my rehearsals are planned down to every moment. Um, and that's always been, he's the, not even kidding. Like we're down to the minute. <laughs> yeah. We stopped the tech rehearsal at 10 o'clock the other night. Um, but seriously, the, uh, I think that really, it was more of just really trying to do too much in the given time. And that's one thing I've had, a, I've learned over the years is what, what we can accomplish you know, in the three-hour rehearsals that we get every week, um, especially when we get to the, the production week, and there's a lot more demands on people's times and um, a lot more that goes into it, and the whole production comes together, and it, it gets stressful enough. So if, if um, now I really think of ways to alleviate that stress and try to, you know, I be proactive with issues that might come up, especially having the experience in the past of various things that pop up that you don't ex- expect. So when something throws you for a loop, Initially, how did you react, and now how do you react? Initially, I would fly off. You know, I would I would just be screaming, and I need this happening, this happening. Now I just take a deep breath and try to you know solve it. If I need help, I ask people to help. How hey, any ideas? How do we get through this? If it's something that's a larger issue that you know I can't necessarily think through myself, but it's really it's a totally different process now. Where it's it's and again, like I said, I try to be proactive with thinking of the possible issues that might come up. So what was your proudest musical moment to date? Um, I think still, we, we did a concert that I, I there, there's two moments, and they're, they're very similar concerts. Back early, for I think it was for our 25th anniversary concert, so about 10 years ago, I programmed a concert called Journey Out, where it was really, um, the chorus, it was, it was a way for them to connect with the audience on a personal level. And the, the various songs that I programmed prior to each of those con- prior to each of those songs, I had different chorus members tell their story about something. It was you know three three minute dialogue that they had with the audience, and um, whether it be about relationships, whether it be about family. Um, there was one gentleman we were singing a song called Michael's Letter to Mama, and it's from uh, based on Armistead Maupin's Tale of City, and it talks about he's writing this letter to his mom about being accepted for who he is. And he came out and he told his story about he was, how he was rejected from his family and kicked out and then, you know, jump ahead 10, 15 years later and things really smoothed out in a way of acceptance for him. And so in that, I was really just trying to get an emotional connection with the audience through, or with the chorus connecting to the audience. And it was something that really, um, came together so well. Similarly, two years ago, or last year, we did a concert called When I Knew that I programmed, and we actually did it with Portland Gay Men's Chorus as well. We went out there, and they came here, and um, I programmed all the, all the material, all the pieces, and similar type of stories, and it was just a really great connection, this one particularly, because we were connecting with a, another chorus from across the country, and um, Bob Menzel is the artistic director there, he and I talked about things throughout the whole the whole process, and it was just 
really a meaningful concert and it just just beyond the music it was it's much more sentimental and um the way it, it came to be um and the camaraderie that the working together was really an excellent byproduct of the whole thing so you know i'm i'm going to transition sort of into our, our your forte section which is the second section of the interview uh and stem off of of this a little bit i always speak at conferences and i always and i talk about what is your what makes you special right not every choir has to be the most polished product not every choir has to sound like you know in my experience the westminster choir or or tenebrae or some ridiculous world renowned choir but you have to have something special about you you have to have you have to fill the niche somehow mm-hmm. and um what do you believe makes uh, Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus special? Like, what do you believe that that their niche in the world is? Well, Gala Choruses, which is the Gay and, the so- gay and Lesbian Association of Choruses, um, is the, like the overarching uh, organization mm-hmm. that we're all, we're all falling under. And it's really, it really provides singers an opportunity um, to, to sing in a safe environment where... Um, they, they make more of a connection. I mean, yes, we, we all do, you know, the, the more classical pieces, um, but it's really more about, you know, talking, trying to um, express acceptance and, and hope for, you know, we have this whole outreach program that we take into the high schools, um, and the feedback from the students is just amazing. They, they really look towards um, us as, as role models, and, you know, if, if when I was a teenager, having a gay chorus come in to sing at my high school, it would have changed my life dr- dramatically. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's doing. It has an, these the gala choruses have an impact on so many lives, um, and it's it's it just it's that's what makes it different from a you know a traditional chorus it, or even a traditional community chorus because it's it's a family and it's it's a place where people come to share their musical talents, but yes, also to have a home. And, um, and that's why, you know, going back to my comment about my demands on them, you know, I still, I still want to push them, but I also understand that it's, it's an environment where, um, they're, they're, you know, everybody's looking for, for some, a place and, and it's for them and it's just, um, and it's right for me too. I mean, that's why this is, this is the type of course I really want to do. It takes a different type of conductor to conduct, um, a gala chorus um, around the country. You know, there are a lot, a lot of jobs that opened up and, you know, people applied who have wonderful credentials and are great conductors, but there's something missing from their leadership and they usually don't end up staying there in that position. And I'm not, sh- you know, I'm not exactly sure if you can learn that, but some people have, but it, it's just a, it's a process that we all go through. All the gala chor- chorus conductors have been with gala choruses for the majority of their career. And um, it's just amazing. So, what do you think it takes? I think it takes a, a different, different uh, perception of what what the organization is about. And if you you know if you because ha- every course has their own mission statements, but it's it's really relating to service to the community and service to the singers. And it's not just necessarily about the, the music. It's, it's what we're getting out of the music. And so much of the music that we do in Gala Choruses um, is music that touches at the heart and, it, and people can relate 
singers can relate to specific things that they're talking about um, in the songs. We, we did a piece called, we did um, Not My Father's Son from Kinky Boots, which was a fun song, a great song. But it, it's an emotional thing that, that a lot of my chorus members really felt connected to that song. Mm-hmm. Um, another song we did, When I Knew, which was what the title of my concert last year was, it really talked about you know, when you knew you were different. And that's something that um, our chorus members, they, they, they really get empowered by the music and our, our listeners get empowered by the music. And it, it brings out so much more um, passion and so much because it's bringing up their, their own feelings in the music that not necessarily you get from traditional choral music. Not that you don't, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's more of a personal connection that they, they relate with. And, and I think as a, as a gala chorus director knowing that balance of you know the traditional music and the touch the more sentimental music that that touches their hearts is is something that's that's important because there are some gala choruses that that try to do the more traditional things and it it's it's successful but not in the same way as as the um some of the other gala choruses so how are you able to create an environment where the choir members feel vulnerable enough to connect so deeply to the music? I mean, is it the, is it the music itself or is it is do you have help in the organization that onboards new members to make them feel comfortable to to sing about this kind of stuff? Or how does that work for you? Well, we, we have a membership committee that... Um, that oversees all the very, you know, any kind of membership issues, but also any social social um, events that we have. And again, it's it's creating family. It's creating um, a place where there's there's things going on outside of the rehearsals. There's, um, you know, we do a buddy system when the new member comes in. They have a buddy who's, who who helps them get through things because a lot of our singers are not musicians. They're not music readers. Not musicians at all. And some of them get freaked out because of the demands that I put on them. We do all of our concerts from memory. We, you know, we, we do some music reading sessions or not uh, music lessons outside of the rehearsals. But pretty much, they walk in the door and they're expected to, you know, go right through the music. And that's another thing where I have to step back and, you know, talk more about the process of learning the music, but then also you know, getting them to, to connect with the music and then also to learn the, the notes. And so it, it's a, um, there's a lot of steps involved that I do have help throughout the board and throughout my section leaders and section represents representatives who help to smooth things over. So that way people can, um, continue to do what they're doing, but, uh, you know, without the stress of being not a musician or something like that. Now you had told me last week that when you picked up the the chorus, it was like about thirty members or so. We had about thirty five members when I started in two thousand fourteen, and in two thousand four, right? Two thousand four, yes. Yeah, sorry. And by twenty fifteen, you have one hundred and fifty members, um, and you had about one hundred and twenty, I guess, singing last week. Mm-hmm. What do you feel attributed? You, you can attribute that that growth to. Well, one of the things was we when I first started, we did a major uh, a major outreach to the community to get more singers. We would go to piano bars or, or karaoke and just to you know one get the PGMC's name out there and also just to see what other singers are out there and see to get them involved. 
And in the past, the PGMC, um, it was, you know, when I started, it was 20, 24, 23 years old. Um, and it was always pretty much around 35. It started off with four guys, you know, going out to the bars singing. And that's where it started back in 1982. But I really wanted to do some more of a push to get them out into the community. Um, we, we mixed up the repertoire. You know, I started to do a lot more um, just, you know, a combination of classical and more contemporary things. What were they doing before? Um, more, more classic, classical style okay. from music. Yeah. Um, one concert that I keep saying, hearing from people, we will never, they will never do again is they did a concert all in German one year. Um, which, you know, again, I think that's fabulous for the right audience. Right. But, you know, to, to, for the, for the gay audience, gay, actually our largest population of our audience is single women, uh, but, um, or older women, but, um, you know, so, so trying to get a repertoire that will get people to want to come. So I, that was one of my things, too, is talking to other gala chorus directors to find out what's been successful for them. So uh, Joe Netto, good, very good friend of mine, he's, he's been a mentor to me. He's the director of the Gay Men's Chorus of Los Angeles. He was in Kansas City prior to that. But, you know, he, he did a similar thing. He really built up his choruses in, 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 um, in Kansas City. And it was all about finding that balance of repertoire and trying to get, you know, the audience to 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 get there and so between the the um going out and soliciting singers as well as you know looking at the repertoire also venues you know we would always do our concerts all always in churches and you know and part of it was we outgrew the churches we were in but you know going to venues like the prince theater or the kimmel center um that really started to bring more of an audience to and you know orchestration we always primarily used piano maybe you know a small rhythm section or something like that but then i started to bring in a string string quartet or a brass quartet and you know 20 piece orchestra as opposed to a three piece band again we were able to do that um financially thankfully over the years and uh building that up really just continued to build the program and and what we offered to our audiences and singers so what was your first concert like as the director of the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus, and how were you able to grow the budget to the point where you're able to afford, you know, a forty-plus thousand-dollar budget for one concert series? Um, it was interesting that first year because I, I was hired like the last week in August, and our first rehearsal was the first week in September. Wow! So it was a very, very that first concert was, you know, I it was primarily programmed already um and i i switched a few things out uh to do that but you know i would bring my friends in as instrumentalists to get things started up you know like a, my my good friend erica who's my main violinist she you know i brought her into that concert uh just to you know spite uh, to give some um what am i trying to say just to to brighten it up a little bit mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to just to move, knowing I had a vision of moving it ahead to being something bigger. Than and were you able to even pay her? I don't think, I think she did that. I think I took her out for dinner and drinks. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, I mean, it's, you got to be creative. You got to yeah. be creative. And, and really, that's what I did along the way. My, my lighting designer, she worked with me at Epistle Academy. I brought her in. It was before we had a production manager. She would come in and, you know, she would help guide things. And so I started to... I, you know, I would bring choral risers from Episcopal Academy. I would, you know, we we would borrow things from all over timpani. You know, we borrow these instruments, and then once the organization saw that, oh wow, this this stuff really 
builds up the, the artistic quality and we need to invest money into it. And that's, that's sort of how it all came to be. I would just, you know, beg people, borrow, borrow things. And then the organization saw the impact that it had on, on the production. And, um, then we, they st we started making, uh, allocating money for that and getting donors for that. And, um, you know, it's come a long way now that we have, you know, we get grants for things like that now, which is wonderful. So it's, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's really how it all came to be. So on the back end, besides you, how many people are involved in administrating the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus? Well, right now, um, I'm the artistic director and we have a full-time organizational coordinator who that position started about two years ago. Um, we're looking, we also now hired a very part-time marketing person and a, a development consultant. Mm -hmm. And then I have a very part-time production manager who really is a gem and she really works really hard at these shows and to put these all together. Um, and we're looking to, to grow to have an executive director. That's been uh, our goal for a while now, but we've had to get some um, things set up beforehand. So that's why we, the organizational coordinator came in who's doing a lot of, um, you know, getting things ready for audits and things just to get more organizational structure to it before executive director can come in and take over to do that. Cause that, that is our goal in the next two years. Now I'm assuming you have a lot of systems in place for making sure that things run smoothly, right? Mm -hmm. So who okay. developed the systems? Um, actually our past president, um, Brad Hess, he, he, um, the last year of his presidency, he really sat down to have all these procedures and processes to, so that way when one person leaves the board, you can continue, we can continue with the work because for years, you know, one person would be doing all this work and have all this, these, these processes that they would go through for their job and then they would leave the board and then it would be like starting from scratch again. So, um, now we have these policies and procedures that really lay, lay out exactly, for, for example, for our fall ball, which is our big fundraiser every year, now we have a whole manual that just takes care of that. So that way, um, again, keeping the, relying on the, the organization, not necessarily just the individuals who are leading up those things. Okay, so if you were to give advice to a new conductor of a community choir, and you say, you know, you need to focus on these things first, what would the what would the, what what priorities would you um, make sure that they are focused on first? Well, again, knowing knowing your organization, that's the first thing. I think you really need to know what what the organization is about. Um, whether, like the mission, you're saying mission of the organization, exactly, and and the culture, um, whether it's a, whether it's a community choir, a, a high school choir, a uh, an LGBT choir. You know, knowing what 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 they're there for and, and f finding out and then comparing that also with your vision of where you want to take it and then finding it, like I said, for me, finding that balance of, you know, I, I have all these grandiose ideas, but we need to, you know, you need to keep it in perspective with everything else that's going on in that organization. Um, I mean, that, that's one thing that was, was big for me to throughout the years, um, you know, simple things that everybody else, you know, organized that, being very organized and keeping things, um, having goals that you're going to to meet and realistic goals, not not far off goals like I had originally as well. Trying to uh, come up with these big things, it takes a while. It takes a while to do that. It can it doesn't happen overnight. So have a long term game plan. Have a long term game plan of what you want to do. I mean, because when I started the chorus, I, I wanted the chorus to 
to you know grow in size. I wanted the audience to grow in size because that's the other thing. Years ago, the audience was you know was much smaller than what we have now. Um, I wanted the repertoire to to expand, um, and um, you know, and I just wanted the organization to to grow. Um, administratively, which we have, we have, we're in the process of, it took a while, but you know, it, it, and I'm glad I didn't give up because there were many times that I felt like I was getting so frustrated that things weren't happening fast enough that I, you know, ready to quit. And I'm glad I stuck with it because mm-hmm. it's, um, the progress you, you make when you, cause you know, doing this as a conductor, you know, you invest your heart and soul into these things mm-hmm. and it's, it's, um, uh, it's it's just very rewarding, but it's it takes time. Yeah, I hear you. So has has this position afforded you any additional opportunities outside of uh, Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus? Have you gotten attention from other organizations? Have you been asked to speak? Anything like that? Oh, myself? You yeah. Mm-hmm. You no, know, yeah. I mean, I've I've done a couple of presentations at ACDA on behalf of Gala Choruses. I'm actually on the board of directors of Gala Choruses. Um, this is my last year. I've done ACDA. I've done presentations at the Gala Festivals. We have um, every four years we have a big um, festival. This year it's in Denver in July, where all the choruses from around the world come, and we have like over 6,500 singers for that. Um, but then there are little ones in between leadership. Uh, symposiums where the various conductors and, and administrators get together and they have workshops for singers if they want to come. They have some singers weekends. So I've, I've done that type of thing. Um, and, and again, I, the, the Philadelphia Gamers Chorus has gotten a much better reputation over, not necessarily reputation, but knowledge, you know, um, recognition, recon, what am I trying to say? <laughs> Sorry. Um, they've gotten more, uh, Recognized? No, no, recognized. Thank you very much. Sure. Or recognized in the uh, gala choral community as well as Philadelphia, too. I mean, Philadelphia, I think it's gotten a better reputation in Philadelphia over the past few years, which is another thing that I was really trying for. Great. Well, uh, that would conclude our Forte segment. And uh, I would like to just move on to what we call the Accelerando round, where it's just very quick little questions and very short answers, and uh, we will get Choir Nation back on their way today. So let's start with uh, what project are you most excited about right now? Well, right now in um, June, we are doing a concert called uh, Modern Families, partially because I love that show. But um, Modern Families, and it's, it's about families in general, LGBT families, non-LGBT families, and we did a commission with Andrea Clearfield, who I've been wanting to do uh, a work with her for many, many years, and we were finally able to get her on our, or us on her calendar. Um, and it's about a, it's a twenty-minute uh, song cycle about uh, family and words coming directly from our chorus members. And Tom Gualtieri from New York City is the librettist, and he put this all together, and it's really, really amazing piece. And it's scored for piano and two. Heavy-duty percussionist. It's really going to be amazing. Um, I'm looking forward to starting that work after the first of the year. I'm going to start that a little earlier than I would normally because it, um, it is a little challenging. and It'll be challenging for the guys, and I'm looking forward to I'm excited about it. Um, I think the guys are a little bit nervous because they know Andrea's work, and she's an amazing composer, so um, they really want to do it well for her. <laughs> so uh, that, that's right now on my plate. That's my most exciting thing that I'm looking forward to in the next couple of months. Well, what advice do you have for your younger self? 
Um, patience. Take more patience or have more patience as you're dealing with things. Because, um, again, my, my, my stress level has been less, a lot less, since I've taken a step back and not gone crazy over the simplest little thing. Amazing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. In your opinion, what do you believe makes an outstanding conductor? Um, being prepared, again, and, 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 and that includes a lot of things. Again, going back to what I said about knowing your singers and knowing, knowing their abilities and knowing what you want to go, where you want to take them. Uh, so, be, you know, being prepared for rehearsals, being, being a human being with them, interacting with them, not, not just being put on the pedestal all the time and, and you're really interacting with them and seeing that you're there doing it with them. So if you're, you're prepared for choir rehearsal with such a meticulous calendar, what does your regular personal calendar look like? Are you, are you as organized? Yes, my husband kills me. Or he, he says he's going to kill me because I'm always over-scheduling over things and putting up. I'm a bit of an anal person, anal retentive person when it comes to that. <laughs> so are you, what do you use? What is your calendar of choice? Are you a Google calendar person? Um, no, I use it on my, my iPhone, the um, iCalendar. I use the iCalendar. Yeah. And do you schedule like everything? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wow, and, okay. And now I'm maintaining the PGMC Google performance calendar too, so that's uh, that I use Google for. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to have you back at some point. Where maybe we'll have to throw together a webinar on how to organize and plan a rehearsal with mm-hmm. you or something like that because I, I was totally enamored by your binder I, I had a chance to like look at your <laughs> binder when you weren't on the podium and I was on the podium and I remember seeing your rehearsal plans when I had come in uh, to, to visit um, uh, weeks before our collaboration I mean you were like from 7 to 707 <laughs> well five do these measures you know like it was crazy and it, but it was good I mean and you had you were able to have somebody else. You had Jerome, that was um, your one of your composer in residence, was running a rehearsal with the basses while you were running a rehearsal with, with the tenors, mm-hmm. and you ended at the exact same time. You all stayed on track the entire time. You just got it done. I mean, it was it was really impressive. So, I mean, I, I I'm gonna have you back at some point to talk about how to do all that because. Um, that might come really naturally to you, but I'll tell you, it does not come naturally to me. And I'm sure many of Choir Nation can relate uh, that that kind of organization does not come natural to them either. So um, very impressive what you're doing. When you have the three hours a week and trying to get the most out of it, it's, you know, that it works. And again, being anal. And, you know, and that's another thing. Going back to early on, I would always be frustrated when I didn't get through everything that I wanted to in that five-minute slot. But now, you know, I'm like, okay, that's next week. You know, so Mm -hmm. it's it's all about taking a step back. I hear you. So walk us through your ideal morning routine. My ideal morning routine. So since we don't have an office, my office is my home. And, um... My morning routine, I get up, take my husband to work, come home, make my 93-year-old mother her breakfast, come sit at the computer, or at the, you know, doing emails, uh, plans for the concerts, plans for the rehearsals, take a break for lunch, come back, do the same thing, and then usually off to a rehearsal every night. So, well, two out of, three out of the four, five nights I have rehearsal. So, um, 
that's pretty much it's every day. <laughs> that's it. All right. What is your most favorite concert that you've attended as an audience member? Um, one, uh, I can't, I can't say one concert, but a choral group that really, and a conductor that really got me motivated was Peggy Detweiler at Mansfield University. She, um, the, the, their, their first concert that I saw under her direction, it was just um, having sung under them years before her and, and having seen what the music that they did. She did a lot of uh, multicultural music, which really amazed me because when I was at Mansfield, we didn't really do a lot of that type of, of repertoire. And she's the one who really, and that that concert, if you will say that concert, really got me motivated to want to really want to do this type of work because it was um, the way the students were engaged and just so, you know, into the music was um, something that I wanted to be on the other end of the conducting podium. All right, Joe, what is your favorite personal growth or music book? Well, I got to say back to what you were talking about, my rehearsal schedule for a rehearsal time period. I can't take credit for that. I learned a lot of that from a good friend of mine, Tim Seelig, who uh, used to direct Turtle Creek Chorale and who is now San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus Artistic Director. He has a series of books out, um, The Perfect Blend, The Language of Music, the perfect rehearsal. There's some DVDs, but there are a lot of really excellent examples and simple to read. Um, it's it really helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of guidance in my early years, as especially dealing with the Gaelic chorus. And since he dealt with the Gaelic chorus, he, that was his experience. But those are all published by Shawnee Press. If anybody's looking for that, but it's um, really a lot of great, great information. All right. Well, Choir Nation, um, as you know, the Find Your Forte podcast partners with Amazon.com to bring you uh, these books that that my guests speak about. So we are going to put a link in the show notes at ryanguth.com forward slash 035 for episode 35, uh, where you'll find Joe's show notes and links to these books and resources. So uh, go ahead on over there to ryanguth.com forward slash 035 and pick up your books from there and help out the Find Your Forte podcast. All right, Joe. And the big one, the big question that we all always ask our our guests is, if you only had one concert left in your lifetime, a choir with limitless ability and access to a sold out concert venue of your choosing, where would your final concert be? And what would be the last piece on that program? Well, I could tell you the last piece because I love it so much. Carmina Burana. I would just love to conduct that last piece. And I will hopefully one day. Um, I've done bits and pieces of it, but Mm -hmm. not the whole thing. Um, One of the things I still have not conducted on the stage of the main stage in Philadelphia at the Kimmel Center in Verizon Hall. Um, Hopefully that will come sooner than my last concert because I hope to be around for a while yet. But um, right now that really is my goal to have like, like working with the choir and the Philadelphia orchestra. Oh, fantastic. I would really love to, to uh, do that. That's well, something I, I strive for. That's a good goal. Write it down. That's right. Affirm it every day and it will come true. <laughs> so we're going to give listeners some parting words of encouragement out there in choir nation. And then the best way that we can connect with you and the Philadelphia game ends course moving forward. Sounds good. Well, my big thing is follow your passion. Um, you mean find your forte? 
Find your forte, yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, it's just it, it, doing what I do just makes me want to get up in the morning and, 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 and do more and more of it. And it's, it's just, you know, not every job you have in life you can say that about. And, you know, it's, that's, I think overall in music, we, we do it because it's, it just touches our soul and it just moves us to the next level. And we keep getting better and better um, at what we're doing by keep going forward to that next goal. And, and that's, that's, that's what keeps me going. So how can we get a hold of you, Joe, or the Philadelphia Gay Men's Chorus and find more about you guys uh, online? Sure. Well, we have www.pgmc.org is our website. My email is director at pgmc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. It's PhilaGMC, P-H-I-L-A-G-M-C. Awesome. Well said. Well, thank you, Joe. You know, I know Choir Nation is even more ready to step up to the podium with purpose today. So thank you for being my guest on Find Your Forte. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing. Be amazing.